All right, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew 25, 1 through 13, or if you're using your phone, uh, you can use that uh, as well, too. Uh, I think it's also going to be uh, projected uh, behind me. Uh, if you are someone that, that has your physical Bible with you, I want to encourage you uh, to keep it open the entire time. Basically, what I'm going to do is we're going to read through this passage, 13 verses, and then we're going to walk through this passage, and we're going to make three observations from it. But I'm going to have you be underlining things and kind of connecting the dots as we uh, go through this passage so you can keep your Bible open. So Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, before you close your Bibles, uh, what I want us to focus on for our first observation here in verse 2, where he says, Five were foolish, five were wise. Verse 3, For when they took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Verse 5, this is what I want you to underline, as the bridegroom was delayed. So if you want, if you have your own Bible, uh, underline that the bridegroom was delayed. And here's where we're going to see our first kingdom principle. And that is this. You can write this in. This is in your little fill in the blanks for your, uh, for your bulletin. Prepare for Christ to return in a thousand years. Okay, so kingdom principle number one. Prepare for Christ to return in a thousand years. Now I have to admit that end times, uh, eschatology... Uh, is not my favorite subject. It's, it's not my favorite Bible doctrine. Uh, it used to be something that I loved to learn and discuss and, and debate. Uh, I remember when I was uh, just, had just become a Christian in college, and I was so intrigued by uh, the return of Christ and the end of the world and end times. And, and, and I, would, I would watch these pastors on TV. Maybe, maybe you do this or you've, you've seen this in the past, and they have, they have these charts Right? They have all these different timelines that they're kind of, kind of going through. And uh, some of them would, you know, would, would explain the book of Revelation. And they would talk about how, how John, it wasn't really locusts, but those were Apache helicopters. And you had to be careful of the mark of the beast because there were these things called credit cards. And you shouldn't use those because those are the mark. And they would get all these different details. And then the big thing was is you had to figure out which, which end times camp you were in. Were you pre-millennial? Were you post-millennial? Were you amillennial? And, and if you were in the wrong camp, I mean, this could really stir up some trouble. And I know that some of you are probably wondering which camp I'm in. Uh, I'm, I'm pan-millennial. 
you, you know what pan-millennial is, right? It, it means everything pans out in the end, right? So, okay, I kid, I kid. I'm not that lackadaisical in my uh, theology and my doctrine. But I bring up all of this because even as uh, Pastor Aaron asked me to do a message, I say, you know, I, I've been praying about it, and I keep coming back to this parable of the ten virgins, and it's talking about the return of Christ and end times, and it's not really my thing, but for whatever reason, this is what keeps coming up. So he says, well, just, just go for it then. And, and so as we go through this passage, uh, what I want us to understand is that it can be easy, and what I have seen happen over time is that uh, many theologians and Bible scholars and pastors and preachers will get so hung up on some of these little details that they often miss the big point that Jesus is trying to communicate. And, and it's not to say that end times is not an important subject. It absolutely is. Uh, the, the, Jesus talks about it often. And, and many times also the emphasis when they talk about the return of Christ is about Jesus coming soon. And know that that is part of it, right? Those were Jesus' very own words in Revelation. He says, behold, I am coming soon. But we have to look at this passage a little bit because we're going to learn some other things um, here as well. Jesus uses a parable. He tells this story to help kind of create a picture to understand uh, some things about his return. And so he sets it up by saying there's ten virgins or we might kind of uh, look at them as, as, as bridesmaids, right? Without getting into all the, you know, the history of weddings and in, in the ancient world, they were really, really important. So people would have been very familiar with what he, he was talking about, that you know, the bridesmaids would, would wait for uh, the bridegroom to come, and that's kind of you know, the culmination of the, of the celebration. But there was five of them. And Jesus says there's five that are foolish and five that are wise. I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes when you become kind of familiar either with a theological stance or maybe you've heard a parable before, that then when you're reading it, you kind of just skim it. Maybe it's even for your daily reading or your devotional and you're reading through and you kind of just, okay, yep, I, I know this already. And, and I've done that before, especially even just with a, a passage like this, like, okay, there's five that are foolish, there's five that are wise. Jesus is coming soon. Um, so uh, the parable is that, you know, five stayed awake and five fell asleep, right? No. Right? It's like, wait a minute. That, that, that's not it. As a matter of fact, there's some, something that's really communicating something different. Uh, it says that the bridegroom uh, will be delayed. Now, we have to be careful when you study parables, because oftentimes, I'm going to mention this about three times during the sermon, every single time, that it can be very easy with parables that you just kind of uh, grab onto one word and then you build a whole theology uh, out of it, and it was never intended to be that way. But I need to tell you, that's not what's happening here with why I had you underline the word, the bridegroom will be delayed. This is something that is consistent throughout Scripture. Even the previous parable that Jesus was teaching, he uses the exact same word and is talking about his own return. He talks about a master who is entrusting a servant. Uh, and, and, and the master says, I am going to be delayed. So we see this throughout scripture. We even see it uh, with, the, uh, with the apostles. In 2 Peter 3.3 3 says, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. 
they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Okay, so, so I read this, and I love this passage in, uh, 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 that we have here in Second Peter chapter 3. And the reason I do is because it is so consistent, of course, with everything that Jesus was teaching about his own return. And you see here the same thing, that there is this delay in at least the expectation of when Jesus would actually return. We're, we're gonna, we'll circle back to this passage because there's other things uh, that are important. So I want to continue to move along here because the comparison that Jesus is drawing here with these foolish and the wise, it was not about sleeping and not sleeping. It was about who was prepared and who was not prepared. Okay, so there were the unprepared uh, virgins, and they didn't bring any extra oil with them, but there were the wise virgins, and they brought extra oil with them. Not to be confused with extra virgin olive oil, okay? <laughs> By the way, thank you for laughing. I worked all week on that one. I wasn't sure how that was going to go, so. But in sincerity, the, the ones that were wise were the ones that were prepared. They had to think to themselves, maybe the bridegroom is coming right away, but maybe the bridegroom's going to take a little bit of time. And just in case the bridegroom's going to take a little bit of time, we need to prepare ourselves. And the reality from the parable is that the bridegroom did take longer than expected, but no worries. They were the ones that were prepared. So this is what I need you to do. I need you to hold that thought. Okay, of this possibility that Christ may not return for 10 years or 100 years or 1,000 years. Okay, and then we're going to pick our Bibles back up. And now we're going to reread verses 6 through 13. So this is from the same passage. We're just kind of walking through it. Verse 6 said, but at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And then verse 13, watch therefore... For you know neither the day nor the hour. And if you want, underline that. You know neither the day nor the hour. And with that, we have kingdom principle number two. Be ready for Christ to return tonight. Okay, be ready for Christ to return tonight. See, this parable makes clear that we ought to prepare and to live as though it may be a while, as we already looked at, could be far off. But verses 6 and 13 emphasize that the return of Christ will come suddenly and unexpected. Okay, once again, we have to be careful to not, you know, pick out a word or a detail in the parable and build a whole theology on it. Uh, But this sudden and unexpected return of Christ is consistent throughout Scripture and, and even the surrounding parables. We have the same words that are mentioned. And oftentimes the parables are arranged in such a way uh, so that these uh, same things are being emphasized over and over. So, so make no mistake, 
The Bible is so clear on this point. I understand that in end times, there's lots of things to debate and there's you know, lots of um, you know, maybe controversy or details that are maybe a little bit you know, uh, hazy or foggy. This point is not. Uh, it is very clear that no one knows when Christ will come back. No one knows the day or the hour. So much so that Jesus says when he's on earth, he doesn't even know. He says, only the Father knows. So I always, I mean, it's, it's sad and kind of funny when I hear, um, you know, pastors or prophets making, you know, these predictions, like this is when Christ is going to return. And I feel like we've had a lot. Like in the last five years, hasn't, hasn't there been a lot that said, okay, this is when Jesus is going to return and, you know, people kind of, Uh, get all up in arms about it and they get scared about it. Uh, You can just discount everything that someone says if they are to, uh, if they ever make any sort of, of prediction about the return of Christ. But what we do learn is that there is this call over and over that it is sudden and that it is Unexpected in, in theology, this is referred to as the imminent return of Christ. And, and that we ought to prepare ourselves uh, in this way. Now, some of you uh, may be thinking, well, that seems like your point one and point two are a contradiction. Okay, And some of you are probably like, now, which one are we supposed to believe? Are we supposed to believe that Christ is going to return Uh, sometime very far off in the future? Or are we supposed to uh, prepare that Christ is going to come right away? To which I answer, yes. (laughs) And I actually believe it is in this tension that we are called to live because it is in this tension of both the far off and the eminent that has us living in the kingdom of God in the way that Jesus wants us to. Let let me explain or to tease that out a little bit. I I want you to imagine for a moment uh, if if you knew that Jesus wasn't coming back for, we'll say, a hundred years. Okay, that that might, in a negative way, uh, shape the way that you kind of live your life. Uh, There may be uh, less of an urgency uh, you may become lazy in your pursuit of God and, and the mission to reach his per, uh, people. You may kind of just uh, personally kind of um, lose your, your call to righteousness or, or repentance. Um, I, uh, I like to refer to this as um, spiritual procrastination. Okay, do any of you uh, suffer from just regular procrastination? I mean, you probably know, like, when you were growing up, you know, that the teacher would give you, you know, here's the, here's the 20-page paper that you need to write, and you're supposed to, you know, write a, a section at a time and outline it the whole. You would just wait until, like, the night before and then got all sorts of, you know, Starbucks and Mountain Dew, whatever you needed to plow through the whole thing. Or maybe it's in your work or... Or, um, you know, even in life, you know that here's the deadline, and so you kind of just wait this whole time, and then all of a sudden you try to scurry at the end uh, to make it happen. Well, I, I think that if we knew the exact date, and we only lived that way, like, oh, Jesus isn't coming back, you know, for another hundred years, hmm, then maybe what I do with my life right now doesn't matter as much, and I still, you know, have, uh, have this, this time. Uh, how, how about uh, looking at it from another perspective? What if we were guaranteed that Jesus was coming back in 10 days. You knew that. 
Okay? How would that change uh, what you do? I, I bet you you wouldn't spend much time on discipleship. I know I wouldn't. I, I mean, if, if Christ was coming back in 10 days, all I would do would be evangelism. Okay? I, I, I wouldn't be saving for retirement. Uh, that, that's for sure. Uh, I wouldn't be giving to the church building campaign. Right? It's kind of like, well, well no, let, hey, let's just send out some invitations. Let's spend that money and just get as many people that we can to come to church. But you understand that you're really needing both to be able to live in that tension. Because there's a positive element. If we're to understand that the return of Christ is imminent, that it could happen at any moment, then that's going to change the way that you live. And yes, you might have this passion and this drive for, um, for, for reaching the lost for getting your, your life in order and, and ready for the return of Christ. But if we also look at the, the long view to say, well, what does it look like to leave a legacy? What, is it, what, what if Christ doesn't return for 100 years? How, how is my investment in um, uh, even uh, in, in discipleship in the next generation, how that will impact the generation to come and how important... Uh, is it uh, uh, to, to be able to do that? Um, let's look at our last, we're going to look at our last uh, principle, and then we're going to uh, flesh out some, some application. So pick your Bibles back up. We'll look at this last verse. Verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. And uh, if you want to underline, you can underline afterward, and then I do not know you. And then our third, our final uh, kingdom principle here uh, is don't expect a second chance. Don't expect a second chance. Now, I told you I'm not an end times preacher. It's not my, like, shtick, my little thing that I like to do. Uh, I'm also not a fire and brimstone preacher. Like, yes, I hope someone invites me to preach to their congregation because I am just going to give it to them. Right? And, uh, and yet at the same time, to be faithful to this passage, uh, this third uh, point here, this third principle is really, really important, uh, especially since it comes at the end and kind of almost sums it up saying, watch therefore, because you know, or, uh, um, uh, uh, but truly I say to you, I do not know you. Okay, so Jesus is making this point that uh, when he returns, uh, that there isn't this second uh, chance. Now, one thing that you need to understand is I believe that we serve a God of second chances. Okay, I told you even about uh, the Second Peter passage when we read through that, and you really see the heart and the character of God in that. The whole reason that there is this delay in the return of Christ, we see from the heart of God, it says, uh, because God desires for everyone to come to a place of repentance. That he is patient towards us, that he's compassion, compassionate towards us. And, and I'm sure that even with Easter and with Good Friday, all of these messages about there's, you have a second chance, there's a continue, lots of second chances. We serve the God of second chances. But at the point of Christ's return, those chances no longer exist. It's a hard truth, and yet, again, it is an important truth that's not just found in this parable, but in the other parables as well, that we have the opportunity now, we have the second chances now, but we don't have those second uh, chances once 
uh, Christ returns. And so what I want to do is I want to get really practical with you by posing just uh, two questions, and each one kind of represents these kingdom principles. Uh, The first application question is, what long-term impact or legacy are you building in the kingdom? Okay, so if you're to look and to say, all right, well, what if Christ doesn't return for 10 years, 100 years, 1,000, 10,000? What is that long-term impact? What legacy am I living that's going to have these long-term effects? I think about, uh, I think about uh, parents and, and, and parenting. And uh, the challenge that I, I maybe even uh, give you that, that have children is to think, how are you discipling your kids? I know that's an intimidating question. I usually see it on the looks of, of faces as, as uh, uh, you know, hey, are you discipling your kids? And, uh, and often people even answer, I'm, I'm not discipling my kids. Well, I have some good and bad news for you. Uh, the good news is you are discipling your kids. I, I don't mean some sort of program or some sort of worksheet or DVD, uh, but the way that you live your life for Jesus Day in and day out, you are discipling your kids. I, I was reminded of this uh, just a couple weeks ago as I was beginning to work on this, uh, work on this passage. Um, uh, just so you know, full confession, I, I am a cheapskate, okay? I hate um, just paying for things that I, I shouldn't. I kind of have this vow that I don't uh, pay for parking or water or air, okay? Those are the things. I hate, if I have to park like two miles away and then walk to the event, I'll do that. I hate paying uh, for bottled water. It's like I could go get this uh, for free. Uh, you used to be able to fill up the air in your tires uh, for free. And, and that, it's like, it's just air. You're going to charge me for this? So uh, I, I don't like to pay for those things. And, and my daughter um, was invited to go um, to the movies with her friends. And uh, being the cheapskate dad... Uh, the thought of paying $4 for 50 cents worth of candy, it just grates at me. Okay, so what does a good dad do? He goes to Walgreens and, you know, loads up her belt line, you know. <laughs> Maybe she could even have a little concession stand on the side. We could make some money off this whole thing, right? And so we go to Walgreens, we buy all the stuff, and I'm just, you know, marching her up to the door, and I'm proud that I'm saving a few bucks here, and then right there plastered on the, on the front of the door is like, you know, you may not bring in any food, and it's just like, ah. Oh. So we had to walk back to the car and, you know, un- unload everything. And, and it's like we wonder sometimes as parents um, why our kids do different things, or maybe, we're, you know, we teach them and we say, you need to be nice. Everybody in your, in your class, right? And, and then, we, and then we, we backstab the neighbors, or we're, we're mad because, you know, their dandelions are, like, blowing over into ours, and we just rip into them and make fun of them and trash talk them and then say, howdy, neighbor, right? We, we tell our, our kids that um, they're, they're beautiful on the inside, and it doesn't matter what other people thinking it doesn't matter what your friends think about you honey but hold on I got to check my Instagram and my Facebook here um, so it doesn't matter what other people think about you and we're sitting there looking at our our, our social media feeds to see if we're getting validation uh, from people which by the way is anybody live tweeting this sermon right now because it's just kidding okay <laughs> you guys don't know my dry humor I'm sorry uh, now, I'm not sharing these things because 
uh, I've got this all figured out because to be honest, I don't. These are the things, these are examples even from my own life that I go, you know what? When I look at this long-term impact of even discipling my family, discipling my children, the things that I even do. You, you know, if, if you want your kids to be in God's word, don't just make the rule be in God's word. Talk about God's word. Live God's word. Share what's, what, what, what you're learning. Share what you're convicted. If you want your kids uh, to be kids of grace, then you know what? There's going to be times where you need to admit that you're wrong. You're, you're going to need to ask for their forgiveness because you made a mistake. And I'll tell you what, that's hard. You know how hard it is to, to tell your kids that you were wrong, that you made a mistake, and that you need their forgiveness? And yet I think it is so important uh, for us to do. All right, the second uh, question I want to ask is, if Christ were uh, to uh, return, what's the one thing that you wish you would have acted on? So to even just kind of play, if Christ were to return tonight, okay, what, what's that one thing that you're like, ah? Oh, I was, I was doing this whole spiritual procrastination thing. I, I was putting it off. I didn't know the Christ. But I wish I would have, have, have done this. Maybe for you, it's this prompting to take this step of faith. Maybe it's, maybe it's even serving here at the church. What, what, was that? what did I hear? Was it uh, one serve, one worship? Worship one, serve one. Maybe God's just kind of been stirring that in your heart. And it's like, you know what? I wish I just would have done that. I wish I wouldn't have been so scared. I wish I wouldn't have said I didn't have time. I wish I would have done that. Uh, maybe uh, God's been placing this relationship on your heart that someone that you need to reconcile with, that you need to ask forgiveness or to, to um, mend it. Or maybe it's a, a, a relationship that you're just supposed to re-engage in some sort of way. And, and maybe it's even uh, with a family member. Uh, maybe uh, it's sharing the gospel with a neighbor or coworker, and every time they walk by, you're just like, oh, and then the time goes by. Because remember, once Christ comes back, there's not going to be a second chance for them. There's not going to be a second chance for you then to be able to share the gospel with them. Or even maybe it's as simple as inviting them to come to church with you. Or maybe for some of you, there's some big stuff that's on there. Maybe there's uh, um, that, that God has been kind of stirring in your heart that you need to change from secular work to enter into ministry. To be called as, you know, called into the ministry as a, as a, as a pastor or a staff member or, or a missionary. And the thought of it is just so scary for you. I want to encourage you, maybe if God is stirring that, then take those first steps. Maybe it's not quitting your job tomorrow, but taking those steps. Maybe it's just talking to Pastor Aaron. I know that he would love to talk to you about that. If you want to talk to me about that, come find me. I love talking to people about how they can uh, take uh, those steps. And so as, as uh, worship team, you can come up as we move into our uh, time of uh, communion here. This is a time for us to even reflect on these things. Uh, and, and at CIL, everyone is, is welcome at the table. You don't need to be a member uh, of the church. Um, it's not about denomination or age or race or anything like that. Uh, the, the requirement is that you have uh, given your life to Christ. Uh, that you've said yes to Jesus, that he lived a, a perfect life, uh, that he uh, died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose on the third day. And, and, and if you believe that, uh, then please come forward and, and take, uh, take the Lord's Supper uh, as, as we do this together. If you haven't, 
Um, it's okay, we want you to stay in your seat. Use this as a time to maybe just reflect on some of the things from the passage or even just asking the question and saying, God, if you're real or Jesus, if you're real, you need to show me. But maybe today you've even realized the urgency that Christ could return at any moment. And, and maybe you're wondering where your eternal destiny is headed. We'll know that you don't have to clean up your life and get perfect. Instead, you just need to come to that place, to that realization, to place your faith in Christ. And if you've never done that in a moment when I pray, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe today is the day that you realize and you, you, you want to be like the, the prepared bridesmaids and say, yes, I am ready for Christ to return. Today's the day that I'm going to make that decision. And if you pray along with me, then please, by all means, come forward. Celebrate the Lord's Supper. Proclaim the death, the resurrection, and the new life that you have in him. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of second chances. That your delay in coming is because of your great love for us. That you want no one to perish, but for all to come to faith and repentance in you. We thank you that you are patient and long-suffering. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone in this room that has never given their lives to you, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, even right now, that you would touch their hearts, that they would feel as if you are speaking just to them. That they would hear you say, I love you. I forgive you. Come to me. Lord, that in their own words, that they would pray and, and ask and say, yes, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Save me, God. Forgive me. I surrender my life to you. And God, for the rest of us, may this be a time in which we celebrate, celebrate and proclaim you as our Savior. And Lord, if there's any areas in which we are holding back from you, that we would come with hearts of confession or that we would come with hearts of renewal. We would turn the page and walk forward with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you can uh, come down uh, the side aisles and then uh, exit uh, through the middle. There's also tables that are available in the back.